0: Welcome to Hempfire. I'm your host, Gabby Boudreaux. Thanks for joining us today. By now we've all heard of THC and CBD. You've heard about it online, in news articles, social media. So if you've heard of them, you probably know that they are cannabinoids or phytocannabinoids meaning they come from plants, specifically from plants in the plant genome cannabis. But did you know that our bodies make their own cannabinoids or endocannabinoids? Your brain actually makes its own bliss molecule called anandamide. It's what's responsible for runner's high or that euphoria you experience after you exercise. Phytocannabinoids like THC and CBD interact in a very similar way with the body as anandamide does. Joining us today is an expert on cannabinoids. Dr. Rachel Knox is a cannabinoid medicine specialist and clinical endocannabinologist, and she is pioneering the field of endocannabinology. She is a policy and regulatory consultant on cannabis and psychedelic health equity, she was recently appointed to the Board of Directors for the U.S. Cannabis Council. She is chair of the Association for Cannabis Health Equity and Medicine, member of Portland's Cannabis Policy Oversight Team, and of Oregon Psilocybin Advisory Board, and an advisory board member of the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine. Dr. Rachel Knox, it is an honor to have you on the show as my very first guest.
1: Oh, Gabby, it's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you
0: for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. So you recently presented at a TED Talk on the endocannabinoid system. Right, we all it. know what the endocannabinoid system is here, roughly. Can you tell us, though, kind of break it down for us in layman's terms, easy to understand, what is the ECS and how important is it?
1: So to place this in the context, right, it's, it's important to to be aware that we think the endocannabinoid system is about 600 million years old. It's common to every animal except the insect. So all mammals have this system. And it wasn't until maybe tens of millions of years ago that cannabis popped up on this earth. So the system inside of our bodies far predates this plant that works on it. Um, This system is critical to life as we know it. Right. There is not a process from conception until death that the endocannabinoid system is not involved in, modulating our bodies to try to keep us in balance. So, it is what we call the master regulator of the body, and it responds to internal and external stimuli to make sure that all of our body's systems are operating in circuit, right? In concert. We like to say that the endocannabinoid system is like the maestro of a symphony of an orchestra um it's directing all of the other players such that it creates a harmonious sound and not a disordered one right it's its job to keep us balanced healthy and well
0: okay so you're saying that it is involved in every single function in our bodies how does that how does that even work (laughs)
1: Well, it's, it's a major neurotransmitter system and even more today, we're talking about a much bigger system called the endocannabinoid dome, but we understand the ECS very simplistically as having four components, right? Cannabinoid receptors, which are like locks, uh, cannabinoid ligands, which are like keys, right? That you can put in those locks to create a downstream effect. And then you have the enzymes that make those cannabinoids and the enzymes that break them down. And science, though, has taught us that this this closed circuit loop is not so close after all, because endogenous cannabinoids work on many other receptor systems in our bodies, like the opioid receptor system, the serotonin receptor system, um, a number of other receptor systems, too. And so there's a lot of crosstalk. And because of that crosstalk, we are now talking about the bigger endocannabinoid dome. And what's interesting is that even these phytocannabinoids, they don't just work on the endocannabinoid system, right? THC doesn't just bind to CB1 and CB2 receptors, it binds to those other receptor systems too in unique ways. So this is a, it's huge. It's a big deal um, and it's it's quite surprising, right? That the, the scientific and medical communities aren't screaming about this system from the rooftops because it's truly uncovering a lot about human health and and, and disease. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, like you're saying, it is a huge deal. It does so much in our bodies. It's intricately connected with every bodily function, as you're saying, um, THC, it, it responds and connects with other receptors besides CB1 and CB2. And I, I think we're learning now that there's a lot more CB receptors besides CB1 and CB2. Yep. So this keeps growing. <laughs> yeah it, it's amazing it's really i mean it is it's fascinating and so why i mean it's, it's such a big deal it does all these things in our bodies why do you think that why do you think we haven't really heard about it until right now if if we if it's yeah. if it controls everything the body why are we just hearing i don't want to sound like a skeptic
1: but no but I mean, it's the same statement it? in my ted talk and this is only my opinion, but I think the endocannabinoid system and greater endocannabinoid dome validates plant medicine. It certainly validates cannabis medicine and not just monomolecular cannabinoid drugs. It validates the use of the whole plant, a plant that we have criminalized for almost a century. Just think about the egos that will have to backtrack <laughs> on prohibition and, and, in the pro- and prohibitionism. Um, the war on drugs has been prolific. It has impacted every institution and society. So undoing all that harm—that's that, a—that's a heavy lift. Not to mention, people are going to have to admit that they were wrong. That's a hard, call. Yeah, that's a hard pill to swallow. But it's 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 funny. I mean, we're we're chipping away at this. Um, Ethan Russo in a, in a Sentinel paper published that many medical conditions might be true endocannabinoid deficiency syndromes like migraine headache and PTSD. And I've even read a number of articles on autism. And and you know, and again, this is just my interpretation, but I would not be surprised if we consider autism a true endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome one day either. And ongoing research is demonstrating that we might be able to trace every disease, right? Every disorder back to endocannabinoid system dysfunction in some way.
0: That is incredible. I, I'm i so pleased to hear about the work that you're doing and other other people in the field who are, I mean, you are pioneering the field of study of endocannabinology, which is incredible. Congrats to you. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see what you come mm-hmm. out with about it. And so I kind of want to know what, how did, why are you so interested in in
1: this field and what kind of motivated you to, to start
0: pioneering it?
1: Well, if everything seems to begin and end with this endocannabinoid system. Uh, You know, to me, it's only reasonable that health and medical professionals begin to learn the science and uh, clinical application uh, according to the endocannabinoid system, right? All of us are endocannabinologists, actually, right? Chiropractors care for the endocannabinoid system. Massage therapists care for the endocannabinoid system. OBGYNs, care for the endocannabinoid system, we're all connected by this system because all of our treatment protocols and regimens and and therapies, right, that we are recommending or prescribing affect this system. And if all diseases can one day be traced back to an endocannabinoid system dysfunction, well, then we need to know how the endocannabinoid system works, right? Absolutely. As like doctors are, we're not doctors of drugs or of plants, right? we're doctors of the heart or the brain, right? So we have neurologists and we have cardiologists. So it was obvious to us that we should be calling ourselves endocannabinologists if we're focused on the endocannabinoid system. Cannabis is just one of many tools that work on that system. So we really are trying to shift society away uh, from um, labeling doctors who work with cannabis as pot docs or cannabis doctors or even cannabis specialists. No, we specialize in the care of human beings. I love so, that specialize in the care of the endocannabinoidome.
0: That's amazing. So, okay. So we know we have this system now, the endocannabinoid system, and we have the CB1 CB2 receptors. It's a gigantic uh, system of receptors and signals as you're saying. So how did we, how did we find out about
1: this system mm-hmm. in the first place? Well, um, after decades of studying this plant, Uh, researchers in the United States finally wanted to know how THC worked. It was in 1985 that the FDA preemptively approved uh, two monomolecular drugs, uh, THC, a THC, analog, Marinol or dronabinol, and another derivative, um, which is assessment. And uh, it wasn't until three years later, though, (laughs) that these researchers wanted to know how it worked. So they radio tagged THC, and shot it off through a human body and just sat back and watched receptor after receptor light up, revealing what was there the whole time, which was the CB1 receptor. So they named it CB1 because it was the first cannabinoid receptor discovered. It was bountiful throughout the brain and the rest of the peripheral um, nervous system. And that really set off a decade of intense study around this system. And it was, I think by 1995, we had uncovered what we consider now the four components of the endocannabinoid system.
0: Wow. Okay. So we've known about this system for, you know, over 40 years now is what you're saying, Mm -hmm. but we are, it's just coming to light now, which is great. You know, better late than never. Right. But, um, so, if you think that you know it's been kind of suppressed due to let's say big pharma or people who wanted to gain money off of you know drugs and and things that maybe keep us sick, is there? I guess what I'm trying to say is addressing the endocannabinoid system deficiencies, like you're mentioning. Do you think that treating the root causes of diseases in that way can improve? Health, really simply, like just taking something like a CBD tincture or incorporating different aspects of your lifestyle to
1: help. How can we support? You got it. You got it. It, It's it's going to come down to a holistic approach. Period. Um, We do run the risk of treating cannabis like other pharmaceutical drugs, right? Using it as a band aid therapy. If we don't understand that, we have to treat disease at its root cause, right? We're not suffering from cannabis deficiency um right we're, we're suffering from socio-ecological problems right that that are keeping us sick right so we need to consider the foods that we're eating we need to be eating natural whole foods um uh, you know and I'll walk that back a little bit right hemp seeds contain the perfect omega6 to omega3 uh, fatty acid ratio that our bodies need and most people don't know about that and we even removed hemp you know, from our lifestyles as well in consuming those seeds as regularly as we used to. Um, So we know we're nutrient deficient. And by the way, omega-6 and omega-3s are important. They're they're fundamental. They are the building blocks of our own endogenous cannabinoids. And so it's very important that we do consume the perfect ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, which is, you know, on average, a three to one ratio so that we are balanced right? So that our body can make the balanced ratio of endogenous cannabinoids within our body in the first place. So it's kind of like, well, no wonder we're deficient. We're probably not consuming the right foods to build our endogenous cannabinoids in the first place, but then add that to our stressful lifestyles, right? Pro-inflammatory lifestyles, whether that's relational stress or stress from work or stress from the pharmaceutical drugs we depend on, all of those things begin to uh, damage our endocannabinoid system tone, call that our tone, um, which is that proper balance of cannabinoid receptors and endogenous cannabinoids, and all that make them and break them down in our body at any given time. So we are gonna have to figure so you, out ecology as well.
0: Okay, how so do you you're prescribe? That we can
1: call ecological just, fixes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's one for you to figure out, but I can't wait to hear what you <laughs> come up <laughs> with for it. Um, I think, I think, so you're saying that we can just, by just simply changing what we eat, what we consume, changing our lifestyle factors just a little bit, starting to tweak here or there, trying to reduce stress exposure, maybe things like meditation, that sort of thing that we can just support our ACS that just simply like that to help our body. You those, more.
1: Energy. <laughs> you call those cannabimimetic practices. Love that word. Yes. And that's another mouthful, but yes, we consider meditation, deep breathing, yoga, um, grounding, right? Taking your shoes off and walking with your bare feet on natural ground, Even yes. prayer. Those are kind of, yes. and there, there is evidence, there is research that does tie those activities to an increase of endogenous cannabinoids, principally anandamide absolutely cannabimimetic practices so I've heard
0: cannabimimetic compounds before which I believe are things like hops and different herbs and botanicals like that right but I've never heard cannabimimetic exercises I love that so I'm going to to keep that in the back of my mind just to remember to do things like that like meditation yoga just deep breathing which I, I have been starting to do a lot lately and it just it makes a huge difference in the way you feel when you just take a little bit of time to do that kind, you know, those those practices, those cannabis mimetic practices. I love mm-hmm. that. So you mentioned in your TED talk also that, and I know we only have a little bit of time left, but I just want to get your your thoughts on this. You mentioned that, like you said earlier, we're not cannabis deficient, but you mentioned that. Back in the late 19th century, or maybe even before that, that cannabis was prescribed as one of the top three medicines by physicians, and then it kind of dwindled out. What happened there with with that with the cannabis went away?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. We um, we 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 know that cannabis first entered into the American Pharmacopoeia in 1850, and it stayed there until 1942. And yeah, in that time, prominent pharmaceutical companies prepared cannabis formulations. I mean, you could find cannabis in cigarettes to treat asthma. Um, More commonly, it was found in tincture. It was also found in medicine cabinets, right? It was a household staple, and they knew it as cannabis. Um, But a number of things happened uh, around the turn of the century. And honestly, mostly, the, the uh, takedown of hemp <laughs> is to blame for much of what's happening today. Um, the decorticator was about to come online and a magazine called Popular Mechanics put it on its cover and, and named hemp the next billion dollar crop because this machine would process hemp exponentially faster. And we know all the things that industrial cannabis can be turned into, biofuel, uh, materials 10 times stronger than steel, building, building um, uh, materials, textiles, paper. And around this time, a lot of folks had significant investment in uh, synthetic textiles, like nylon and rayon, in lumber, right, making building, building materials out of wood, but also paper, and petrochemicals right? So biofuel. Now, Henry Ford made his first Model T out of hemp steel, and it was fueled by hemp ethanol. So if you were these industrialists at the time, <laughs> and hemp could be turned into just about anything, how would you feel about this decorticator right. and the ability to process hemp, right? So these, it was these industrialists and ideologues, right? The Carnegie's and the DuPont's and melons, etc. cetera, who had these lofty investments. And so they conspired with government to take this plant down. And it was really convenient to use the racialized, you know, sentiment of the area to drive it away. So they labeled uh, marijuana and reefer the drugs of abuse of choice by Mexican immigrants and black people and jazz musicians. And they were able to- Reefer Yes, Reefer Madness. They were able to turn public, they needed this public sentiment against this plant. Except nobody knew that cannabis was the same thing as marijuana and reefer. Um, Wow. Yeah, it was wild. And, you know, even the AMA back then, testified before Congress, asking them to begin to research this plant because it was profound and it had, you know, marked medical utility. Um, but even, even studies were ignored at that time. I mean, it just didn't matter. They had an agenda, they were sticking to it. And, um, you know, even during that time, people of color were, were, were targeted most uh, but it wasn't until the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 that really like codified the war on drugs. Um, and, and we know the rest is history. Um,
0: so you're doing a lot in with minority health equity. And I I want to hear a little bit about how you're helping communities of color to understand how cannabis can help them and how they may even want to get into the industry themselves yeah. what what kind of initiatives what kind of programs are there
1: yeah i mean there are a number of ones um, but for me i i've co-founded a, a movement called cannabis health equity movement um we are a coalition of bipoc leaders in the cannabis space who who really were just Tired of being, you know, sick and tired to be cliche about it, uh, of asking legislators and regulators and even industry operators to participate in ensuring that cannabis helps us pay restitution to the communities that have been harmed most. And not only that, provides opportunities, begins to repair, and even assists in revitalizing these communities. And um, so that's what Chem is all about. We've launched two organizations within the movement. The first was our association for cannabis health equity and medicine or Achem, for short and it's the first bipoc medical association in cannabis centered around health equity and so you know what's what's really important to note is that people of color as patients do better when their providers are of color as well so as we're trying to tackle you know why people of color aren't rushing to cannabis as a, as a solution when we have this thing called the minority health disparity gap Right, that tells us our conventional therapies are actually not faring well in our communities. Um, you know, it's because of a number of things: distrust in the establishment, there not being a whole lot of Black and Brown faces in medicine to begin with, and so this is our attempt to increase the ranks of BIPOC health and medical professionals and healers. Um, you know, we consider our poets and our artists healers as well in um, phenomenology. Right in cannabis and cannabinoid medicine so that we can serve our communities and then our next is our 501c3 the chem alliance with a y ally and and within chem alliance we've created a program called the chem global campus and our intention is to begin to educate beginning um, uh, in the latter years of high school. Students of color so that they can actualize into this what will probably be a trillion dollar cannabis industry globally. And when I say cannabis, I mean both hemp and marijuana. Um, and so career pathing is gonna become very important, um, I think in this process, right? To really prepare the next generation of people to participate in this booming space. Um, yeah, I mean, and beyond that, I wear a lot of you know adv- advisory hats. Um, yes, I've served the minority cannabis yeah. business association since inception. Um, that's
0: what I, that's what oh. I, and I wanted to ask you a little, sorry to cut you hey. off, but we only have a little bit of time left, a few minutes. I wanted to ask you just a little bit, and I, we'll have to have you back on again to talk yeah, all about psychedelics, course. but what, you know, since you're in Oregon, what have you seen so far since the, since the legislation has passed? And do you think, what do you, where do you see the health community and <laughs> everyone in the cannabis and the psychedelic oh, world, yeah. where do you see that going? Where would you like to see it go?
1: Well, I um, So I, I have been appointed to the Psilocybin Advisory Board, and I'm heading the Health Equity Committee, um, which, you know, my intention is for it to, to function much more like an accountability committee and um, less like a, you know, a, a traditional DEI committee, um, because we think, you know, equity is ubiquitous. And when it comes to plant medicines and fungi, we're going to need to start applying a decolonizing lens. Um, and center it all in health equity. I mean, when I talk about cannabis these days, I have to paint the picture as follows. African slaves grew hemp right alongside cotton during slavery. And that helped make this country very, very wealthy. And not only that, they did this on indigenous soil, right? So neither, neither Black Americans nor indigenous people have benefited from the wealth generated from this plant. And we're still, we're doing it all over again today, right? Um, So when it comes to regulating cannabis with integrity and and, and psychedelics with integrity, like psilocybin here in Oregon, we we have to apply a decolonizing lens. We have to pay homage to traditional wisdom, traditional science and medicine and, and sacred applications. We have to, we need to elevate those people with that knowledge to leadership, to help guide us in this process. You know, we can't just blanketly apply Western conventional wisdom and science to this process, especially when it's so overly focused on single molecule, you know, solutions. Um, So, you know, I hope in this process in Oregon, we will elevate indigenous and BIPOC leaders um, in all arenas, again, not just in DEI ones, right? We're looking for BIPOC neurotherapists and neuropsychologists and, and um, uh, uh, you know, psychotherapists, as well as BIPOC uh, traditional knowledge keepers and BIPOC experts in growing psilocybin and administering it and everything in between, Um, you know, BIPOC that have background in any technical segment of what this industry will become so that we're not making the mistakes that we've made with cannabis. It's not too late with cannabis either. Yeah, Yeah. it's not too late with cannabis. Um, So what I really hope to see, Gabby, is that we we erect as close to a a decolonized and equity-centered psilocybin-assisted therapy program industry as possible, and then use that model to reapply to cannabis so that i we love can,
0: that what we, what i love that yes it's it's all about inclusivity and i love that cannabis is having people like yourself starting to pioneer different sectors of the industry such as the endocannabinology field of study and i think that like you're saying we need to pay homage to the people who really started this for us so thank you so much for for shedding light on that and for making it one of your your main points of, of focus and energy and i i love Love everything that you're doing. And I can't wait to see what you come out with next. I would love to have you back on the show again to talk more about cannabinoids. And specifically, really, sure. I'd, I'd like to pick your brain on psychedelics as well and psilocybin. I attended the Arizona Psychedelics Conference um, in 2019 and it just blew my mind. It, it, there's just so much fascinating research and breakthrough studies going on right now that we could I would heal. Love to have you.
1: We could literally yeah. heal yeah. the world between cannabis and psychedelics. We could you know yeah. we could tie it
0: up. <laughs> You're healed. Yeah, like let's heal that trauma, please. Don't suppress it anymore. Let's heal it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Knox. Today it was a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Likewise, Gabby. Thanks for having
0: me. Absolutely. Thank you to our producers and thank you guys for listening today. Keep learning, ask all the questions, and we will talk to you next time.